to Kinks and Beats Daily, or not so daily, I guess. I'm your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 185. We are back. Took a little hiatus. I know the, the, the name of the show is Daily, but you know, as a famous musician once said, life is what happens to us while we're busy making other plans. So we took a little break, um, but we're back and we will be back daily for the foreseeable future. Thank you to everyone who's supporting the podcast. Um, thank you to everyone who's downloaded episodes and found us during this hiatus. We'll probably do that once a year or so. Um, it takes a lot of work to get this podcast out. You know, every episode, even though they're only 10 or 15 minutes long, typically, um, with research and, and song analysis and all that, you know, we're talking like an hour or so per episode. And, uh, so it takes a lot. So I think maybe, you know, I'll probably do that every year or something. Um, but I'll try to get way more ahead of myself in the future so that, you know, uh, you may not notice the break. So anyway, welcome back. Thanks for listening and, and subscribing. And um, I hope you will join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash kinks and beats, or follow us on our Twitter handle at kinks and beats. Um, and then also, of course, swing by herohabit.com. All right, today we're talking about the song Michelle by the Beatles, which was released December 3rd, 1965 on Rubber Soul. So we are getting very close to the 55th anniversary at the time of this recording um, of Rubber Soul. The track was released as a single in many countries, but not in the U.S. or the U.K., although it was it was played on the radio in the U.S. as an album track, but it wasn't released as a single in either of the two major marketplaces, uh, but it topped the charts throughout Europe. All around the world, this is a is is a very famous, beloved song. It won the 1967 Grammy Award for Song of the Year, which is a rare Grammy win for the band, um, who were three for nine at this point. And uh, they would go on to win six more Grammy Awards. Um, I'm sorry, they would win six Grammy Awards. Period. While they were a band, and a few more in the 90s and beyond, um, plus lifetime achievements and stuff like that. The song was nominated alongside Born Free, The Impossible Dream, Somewhere My Love, and Strangers in the Night, in case you were wondering why rock bands weren't sweeping the Grammy Awards back in those days. Uh, You have to figure, at this point, rock is like an established art form for a decade, right? Chuck Berry and Elvis and stuff were doing, and Buddy Holly were doing this in 1955. Now we're in 1965, and still, these are the only types of songs that are given real credit. Track was recorded in one session, November 3rd, 1965, which was a month to the day before Rubber Soul was released. So they're running out of time and they haven't even written all the songs for Rubber Soul, let alone record them. And um, But this is among the last songs recorded for the album. I think from November 3rd forward, there were like four or five songs recorded, um, plus mixing and all that. So they took this right down to the wire. Um, the session, basically one session went from two 30 in the afternoon to 1130 at night, uh, with a lunch break or dinner break in the middle. And they only did technically two takes. So this whole song, take one is the basic rhythm track. Take two is some additional guitars and the vocals and they superimpose them. They mixed down take one and then did, uh, take two as an overdub onto take one. So really. It's like one take. If they'd had an eight-track player, a recorder in in 1965, this would have been a one-take deal. 
So this is a really remarkable recording process for them. And they were doing that a lot, probably because they were down to the wire. So the fact that Rubber Soul is so innovative and such a leap forward for the band, when you consider what a rush job it was, uh, really speaks to the, the, the elevation that their songwriting was taking, that their musicianship was taking, that their ability to work in the studio was taking. Um, it's cool stuff. I remember asking my high school Spanish teacher, who also taught French, uh, what the words meant, you know, the French words in this. And I was a little disappointed when I found out that they literally mean these are words that go together very well, which is essentially the English lyric. So lyrically, there's not uh, a whole lot going on in this song. There's basically one verse that's sung in two different languages. uh, And then you've got three bridges that are basically the same, but they're a little different. You know, I've got the, I love you. I love you. I love you. I need to, I need to, I need to. And I want you, I want you, I want you. Um, those are basically just bridges. There's not really a chorus in here. Unless you want to consider the Michel, my bell. These are words that go together. Well, that could be your chorus. And in that case, there's not really a verse. It's just chorus, bridge, chorus, bridge. It's a unique song style. There's not an established verse really. Because I need to, I need to, I need to. That that feels like a bridge. Even though there are three of them, it feels, it, it functions as a bridge. Interesting. The song dates back to the early days of the Beatles. Um, Paul often tells the story about how he and his, uh, you know, when they were at parties and stuff, he had this French song, quote unquote that he'd play at parties to impress girls. And it was mostly just nonsense, gobbledygook, you know, fake French. And uh, while they're recording Rubber Soul, you know, short on songs and running out of time, John suggested that they dig up this song. He comes up with the um, what becomes the basis for the three bridges. And they piece it all together. So this really is a John and Paul collaboration. But this is also a song that's kind of like five, six, seven years in the making because it's been just kind of a goof song for a while. George Martin claims to have written the lead guitar line for George Harrison and played it on piano for Harrison to mimic. Um, There's no mention of that in the Lewison book, but I have no reason to doubt George Martin's uh, memory on this. But it is an example of two things in my mind. It's an example of the band still not reaching the point where they were calling the shots in the studio. And that's a point they probably reached during these sessions for Rubber Soul, definitely have in during the Revolver sessions. Um, and it also is an example of the lack of respect Harrison and in Ringo, in other instances, that they were given by their producer. You know, it's no wonder that they sometimes felt like sidemen to John and Paul when they're literally being treated like amateur studio musicians. You know, you've got Martin coming in here with an arrangement saying, I want you to play this. And then he's playing it on the piano and says, why don't you just play along with me? I mean, as a guitar player myself, I would find that a bit disrespectful, but again, they're on a time crunch at this point. Harrison was, was pretty well known for laboring over his guitar solos, but you know, in that respect, you also get great guitar parts. So who knows? Harmonically, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this song that you just really didn't hear in rock music really you still don't hear it in rock music very much uh, and when you do people say oh that sounds like a you know a beatles song for starters the intro's in f minor with a, a descending root 
And we do hear this all the time. Let me grab my guitar. We hear this a lot. So basically you're taking that root. So that's in this case, it's an F. And you lower it a half step. Now it's an F major seven with that major seven in the bottom. Then you lower it a half step. Now it's an F seven with the seventh in the bottom. You lower it a half step. It's an F six with the six in the bottom. And you hear this all the time in pop music, but it's um for whatever reason, when non-French people, and I don't know, maybe I don't listen to enough French music, uh, but when non-French people try to imitate French music, they all do this. And it's usually a waltz. Whoops. Right, and it's got that instantly a French feel. So this is an F minor, but then, you know, we do... He ends it on C, which is the, the the five chord in F minor or F major. And then the, the verse or chorus or whatever we want to call this section is in F major. So that's that's kind of a cool deception to open in F minor for the song to actually begin in F major. Then after one chord in F major, he seems to do like a 2-5 pattern borrowed from A flat major. And then resolves to a diminished chord. Now, diminished chords are cool, and I think we've talked about this before. We'll we will talk about it a lot because uh, George, in particular, uses them all over the place. But they're very versatile, and um, the, because the interval between each note in a minor third, or is a minor third, which means that inversions are still minor thirds. So when you have a major chord, the the third is a major third above the root. And then the fifth is a minor third above the third. All right. So those are two different. You've got a, an interval of a major third and an interval of a minor third stacked on top of each other. If I take that first note and then swing it to the top, now I've got a minor third and a perfect fourth. So the intervals change. In a in a diminished chord though, You've got all this stack of minor thirds. So let's say we've got a C, E flat, G flat, B double flat. If I take that C at the bottom and move it to the top, now I've got E flat, G flat, B double flat, C. They're all still minor thirds. Okay? So we've got this chord. And then we raise it. We take this note and move it up. So it's the same same three notes, but the inversion is equal um, intervals. And what this does is the reason this is versatile is because essentially there are only three diminished chords, right? And we name it based on which of these notes is the lowest. So if I play an F sharp diminish, and then I go to an A diminish, and then I go to a C diminish, and then I go to an E diminish, uh, E flat diminish, all four of those chords use the same four notes. So we just name it after whichever one we're basing it off of the, the first note in that. So it allows you, because of that, it allows you to shift from one key to another without ever changing chords. And that's kind of what they're doing here. So you're doing like the. 
right? So you can do that shift, and you hear I, I probably John um, playing that in the background, that little. So, um, so uh, if you want to hear where that chord specifically is, Paul's melody to go together is actually just an arpeggio of the diminished chord. Goes together, one flat three, flat five, flat three. But then he doesn't come back down to, you know, the... He doesn't come back all the way down. He resolves it. So that's how he shifts from in and out of this major tonality, minor tonality, all that kind of stuff. If you believe everything you read on Wikipedia, which you shouldn't, you'd think that Paul uses a B-flat 7 sharp 9 under Ma Bell. Um, but it sounds to me, and is indicated in the official publishing, as just a B-flat minor 7 chord. A B-flat 7 sharp 9, which we talked about in the Taxman episode, is, is the Jimi Hendrix chord. It would sound horrible here because it puts that major and minor chord um, tonality against each other. He does, however, use a G7 flat nine on the My Michelle, which is like a. Uh, let me put that in a place that sounds better. So that's the jazzy chord you hear. And a flat nine. So it's a flat nine, not a sharp nine. Um, then the bridge shifts to F minor which we heard at the beginning of the song, and he does a little cycle back to that main section and then back to F major. So it's just back and forth. Uh, it's, but it's a gorgeous piece of music. And despite it having only two sections, virtually no lyrical variance, um, and not even clocking in at three minutes, it feels just about perfectly arranged. Doesn't need more, doesn't need less. I don't know where you'd put a bridge or a verse or a chorus, whatever this is lacking, and we can debate that all you want. Um, I don't know where you would change it. You know, it's just a nice arrangement and it all comes together perfectly and they and then they did it in one session which is really cool um around the time of recording this episode president barack obama released a list of songs that were memorable from his administration and among them was michelle and it's memorable because Paul McCartney, when he was receiving the um, Library of Congress Gershwin Prize in 2010, they do a, co a concert and he sang Michelle to Michelle Obama. So that's, you know, kind of a cool little thing. So I'm sure the song has uh, received a few more listeners in the last week since Obama did that than it, um, than it normally would. But, you know, it's, it's one of the Beatles' most famous songs. Um, it's one of their most, uh, awarded, you know, it won that Grammy, it, it won a couple other awards too. Um, so for something that Paul just threw together at parties to, to flirt with women, uh, it ended up making a pretty good dent in music history. So that's Michelle. Um, uh, I'm still looking for contributions. If you have a Beatles or Kinks related song, that you've changed your opinion on over the years, for better or worse, um, I'd like to hear it. Give me a call at 925-494-1739 and let me know what song it is, how your opinion has changed, what drove your opinion to change. Um, and we're gonna we're stockpiling those for a, a future episode. And of course you can swing by herohabit.com 
to check out all the episodes we've covered. If you're new to the podcast, we've done 185 of these now. So we've covered a lot of music already and there's a lot more to cover. And of course, if you do enjoy this ep- these episodes, um, consider contributing $4 a month to Kinks and Beats and that helps us pay for the expense of doing this. And frankly, if everybody that listened to this um, podcast did that, I it would be a lot easier for me to stay on schedule. But um, for everybody that has, thank you. Um, you do get bonus episodes and early access to stuff. And I'll try to come up with some more goodies for everybody there. All right. Thank you for downloading. I will see you guys next time. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.